Hi, I'm Ethan. I love muzzleloading. Today, we're talking to Sam and Scott Williams. They're a father and son duo out in Utah that are passionate about every aspect of muzzleloading that gets them outdoors, burning some powder. They're rendezvous veterans. They're muzzleloader hunting veterans. We're going to talk a little bit about muzzleloader hunting out in Utah, what that's like, what makes it different. We're also going to talk about the rendezvous scene out there out west. Uh, Sam and Scott travel around even all the way up to Wyoming to uh, to go to some rendezvous and, and compete with their, with their black powder muzzleloaders. Really just an energizing conversation. And I'm really pleased that this just happened to be our first episode of 2022. I think Sam and Scott both have some great perspectives. Uh, Being a father and son about how they got into it, what keeps them interested in muzzleloading. Um, I think there's some great stories in here that really just setting us right out the gate on the the right foot. So I I really hope you enjoy this episode. And I'd like to thank Sam and Scott for coming on and, uh, and sharing their stories with us. Where are you guys located? You know, just a just a state or region that you don't have to <laughs> narrow down to <laughs> coordinates. Uh, you're, you're absolutely good. We are just west of Salt Lake. Okay. So just kind of on the other side of the mountain there to the west. Okay. Is where we're located. And did, did the elk hunting that you were talking about go okay? We're still working yeah, on that one. Okay. <laughs> it's, there, it's elk and that's how, uh, I don't know, we can find them, but they're either on private property or they're still at. Six you know, miles away. Yeah, and six hmm. miles away and 9,000 feet, and you really can't do much about it where right. they are. So we're just – it's working on it. We've got till the end of January, so we're hoping that we can we can make that one work because that would be really cool to – there's nothing that eats better than elk. I don't know if you've ever had that. but I have not. Yeah, it's the best. It's yeah. excellent meat. Hmm. I mean, around here, we just pretty much have whitetail and turkey and then, you know, sure. some varmints, but they don't eat very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have a lot of good variety here. I mean, well, on your standard, you know, hunts, I mean, deer and elk, very common. Mm-hmm. You know, we have turkeys and we have lots of coyotes, but we also have, um, you know, for limited entry aspect of it, I mean, you can hunt antelope, you can hunt uh, bison, two bighorn sheep, both desert and Rocky Mountain and Rocky Mountain goats. Wow. So there, there's a lot of variety, but yeah, it's, oh, and moose, yeah, it's just not easy to acquire tags. Mm. You know, on a once in a lifetime hunt, that's a once in a lifetime hunt, and it'll probably take you. I don't. I'm putting in for desert bighorn sheep, and I think I have 18 years I put in and have not drawn. Wow. So, I mean, it, and I might not get to draw it. Just hopefully, I can draw it before I'm too old to. Mm-hmm. Where I can't pursue them, you know. So is this is I guess isn't really in the topics, but I, I'm just kind of curious. Is that due to the the game commissions and things, seeing the interest in in hunting for those, and they're limiting how many you can take for that, or or what's the the process behind that? Because I hear that from everybody out there. Whereas around here, it's really kind of open season a lot of the times on, on at least on whitetail and things. Yeah, and they're just a different. They're just a different animal mm-hmm. over a mule deer. You know what I'm saying? We have a lot less mule deer in the state. Okay. And so really the way it works um, for your average hunter, you might only get a tag every couple of years hmm. um, to hunt mule deer. A lot of people have switched over to muzzleloader because you're more likely to get a tag. And we only have um, on our hunts, well, on a, on a, on a rifle or a muzzleloader hunt, you have nine days. Um, that's really that's, short. That's, they, uh, yeah, that's a total length of your hunt. If you're a bow hunter, I think of that one's about five weeks, yeah. six weeks. Oh wow! So they so they have a long hunt there because they're not as not as successful. Mm-hmm. 
So then, so we, you know, start in archery in August and then the muzzleloader hunt here is in September, first part of October, but it's nine days. It's, it's Wednesday to the following Thursday. Okay. So you are, you are really kind of limited and that's your deer tag. Um, wow. So you're not going to be able to, um, for, for an adult, you're not going to be able to go out and, you know, harvest a couple bucks this year in the state because there's not, that's not a, a possibility, right? You have one yeah. buck tag. And it, it might take a little while. Now, on a youth hunt, something that the state does that is really cool is they allow a youth hunter to hunt all three seasons. and But they can only harvest one animal. Okay. Um, but so they can, you know, so Sam this year started on the bow hunt and then ended up, you know, harvesting a deer on the, on, on the yeah, opening day on the muzzler hunt. Um, and had that not been successful at the end of those nine days, then he could have still hunted on the rifle. Okay. And then something they also do out here that's really cool as far as youth go, um, and and I have a, an old permit that they used to do back in the 90s. I bought a lifetime license, so I'm guaranteed a deer tag every year, even though other people have to struggle to get a tag. Okay. Um, so what I do on – so like last year, Sam drew a tag. This year, he will not. I mean, this is coming up 2022. He won't draw a tag, but I can mentor him my tag. Mm. And then both of us can hunt off of that tag. We can only kill one deer, but we can both hunt, be in the field together. But it allows him the opportunity to um, hunt more. And, you know, as a dad, I'm just trying to give him every opportunity I can. Yeah. Yeah. That's really awesome. I think that's a a really encouraging thing for uh, your state to do, that mentorship. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's really cool because if he doesn't, and where it's harder to get a permit, I mean, really, they can start hunting at 12. But if he only has, let's say, two permits by the time he's 18, um, how many of those kids are going to want to keep doing it? Exactly, yeah. You know, they have to be really dedicated. Um, you know, if you've only had a couple times at it to keep at it. That's not enough. No, it's not. Not anywhere near enough. And we have lots of, you know, small game opportunities, lots of turkey opportunities, lots of waterfowl Um you know, grouse, and we, and we do all those things. Because it's all hunting. It's all yeah. Fun. Yeah. It's all yeah, time it's all out. Yeah, it's all fun. Um, but that's kind of how the deer aspect of it works. But a lot of that's just we just don't have the number of deer that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Hmm. And a lot, and we're a lot more open too, right? I mean, yeah. you know, you could have 40 acres of, of property you know, in certain parts of the country and have plenty of deer on there and those kind of things. And you could have 40 acres here and there's really nothing on it. Yeah. It's so much bigger out there, I think, is the... Yeah, it's a lot bigger country. Yeah. They just move through a lot more wherever there's water they are and they move around. So you could have 40 acres and then have 100 deer on it one day and then the next day have 20. And then... And nothing, yeah. Yeah. Depending on where it is and, and that kind of stuff. A lot of what we hunt, too, is all public land. Okay. Um, and so whether that's uh, BLM, Bureau of Land Management, or if it is um, national forest or, or state lands, I mean, most of our state is open. And so you're, I mean, you're able to hunt a lot of places, but really deer, and it's interesting where we like to hunt deer. Um, there may be deer in these canyons very heavy this year. And next year, there's just not, they're just over, you know, a mile from here or something okay. So it takes a little while to to pattern them and a lot of that scouting, right? Just trying to find out where they are and, and spending time in the woods anyways, which is always good. 
It's also interesting on on rainy years, we'll have great big bucks. And then when we don't get very much rain at all, they're just up on the mountain. Hmm. Miles up there, super steep crap. You can't get to them. But it all depends on how much water there is. Yeah, water is a big deal out here too. Especially we've been in a drought the last few years. So that kind of makes hunting um, tricky too. Water is a big key player. So at those high altitudes, are they able to find more more water then? Or yeah, they... yeah, and it's not as hot too. Okay. Right? So, the, so the vegetation has more of a chance to grow. That makes and, sense. And so a lot of those big, especially bigger deer, they'll stay up higher, but you'll also have them right off farm fields too. Mm-hmm. You know, so it just kind of depends. But where we hunt, you know, it's probably about five thousand foot in elevation usually, but the peaks around there are running right about nine. Jeez. That's nine to ten thousand feet, and so, but those, you know, you'll have deer. They're all the way up there sometimes, and and you might not be able to access them, but they also get left alone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, yeah, it just kind of depends on where you are and, and what we're doing. But yeah, so we do a lot of scouting all summer long. Okay. So how did you then, Scott, get into muzzleloading? Then, kind of to kind of jump into some of our questions here, um, were you have you always been a hunter and an outdoorsman, or or did you kind of find that yourself? You know, I was raised in the woods. I mean, we hunted and fished um, all the time. And that was just a a blessing, right, to grow up that way. And uh, so hunting has always been a big part of my family, family tradition. You know, at at that time, we'd have a big deer camp when I was little, kind of before I could hunt and have, you know, grandpa there and uncle there and and kind of have some of that tradition. And so it's something I always wanted to do. Now, as far as muzzleloading goes, um, that was really kind of a foreign thing. We hunted, my dad was a big bow hunter and, and we had hunted, hunted deer on a rifle. Now, then at, at that time in Utah, I mean, they had a lot more deer hunters and it was a lot more open. Hmm. We're now much more restrictive on tags where then they could buy multiple tags and, you know, they just had a lot more opportunities than we have now that way. Mm-hmm. But a lot of that's because we have such a higher population in our state as opposed to what we did then. But, so as far as muzzleloading goes, um, you know, hunting is something I I grew up with. And that was, you know, my dad's thing really was, was bow hunting for deer. That was a big deal. We practiced, you know, every night when, you know, after work, he and I would go out and shoot and um, just really was awesome. And, and I really had a lot of, as I kind of looked over the questions and as I've been thinking about this today, um, you know, I had a lot of people who planted seeds in my life as far as black powder aspect of it and the mountain men stuff. I mean, we're, we're in Utah. I mean, we were in a state that had mountain men in it during the, during the fur trade era and, and rendezvous were held right here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was always that kind of aspect of it. I mean, I had a grandpa that was just a, a great storyteller and it was always him and Jim Bridger out trapping and, <laughs> and those kind of things. And so it just really um, turned me on. Yeah. Um, I always wanted to, I just was so interested in the mountain men and I know we had uh well, we had a mountain man in fourth grade. They study Utah history, and, and we had a mountain man come into our class. And I was just like, "Man, this is this is what I want my life to be." You know, <laughs> and these guns and my buddy and I, we just wanted to run away and and go live in the woods, you know, because that's that's the perception a ten year old has of mm-hmm. what a mountain man is. But I didn't have anybody, um, you know, to show me as far as black powder goes, and that's really something. Uh, when I got in my early twenties, I just had to do on my own. And uh, I, um, I I bought a cap and ball uh, re- re- revolver 
because I wanted to get into it, but it was the cheapest way I could get into it to see if I liked it. You know, mm-hmm. and my dad had shot one before and he's like, oh yeah, they're a lot of fun, but they're just, you know, you got to clean them in a bathtub. And it was just, it was the cleaning part of it that was just too overwhelming for him mm-hmm. at the time. And then after I bought the, you know, that I had to order a Hawken cause that's what everybody had to have. Yep. And, uh, you know, bought that and, uh, just a life changing event really for me. Um, just started getting into black powder and really started, um, you know, just, just slowly just made that transition, but I just absolutely ate it up just the historical aspect of it. Um, to be able to, um, yeah, it was just, it was awesome for me to be able to kind of live that dream that I had as a little kid in yeah. shooting a traditional black powder gun. Yeah. There's something really special about that, especially when you're able to be exposed to it at such a young age and then kind of find it later down the road. I think when we talk about muzzleloading and black powder a lot, there's a lot of interest in, in getting kids into it, but that it, that it, the argument goes back and forth about, well, kids don't have any money. They can't you know go out and buy anything, but if we expose them to it early on, like you were, they can find their way back to it down the road and, and become kind of lifelong fans of it. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. And And that's something that we've done is, I mean, I always try to look for kids or someone that I can influence that way, someone who might have that same dream that, you know, I can take them out shooting and, mm-hmm. and uh, have a great time and, and kind of just, you know, just give them that exposure because it's, it's such a fun thing. And the historical part of it to me, I just ate it up. Yeah. It was just so fun. So Sam, how did that influence you getting into muzzleloading then having a father that, you know, fell in love with it as a kid and, and reconnected with it? Well, we, Every year they do a mountain men rendezvous where you go compete for a gun and that kind of stuff. And you shoot gongs and all this kind of different stuff. And we went to a place called Fort Bridger every year as a kid. Mm-hmm. And I grew up watching uh, old TV shows like Davy Crockett and Daniel Boone and all that kind of stuff. So I grew up outside. And when I would sit down, that's what I was doing was watching stuff like that. And uh, never really was a question to me that that's what I wanted to do. And uh started competing and my uh second deer i shot with a traditional muzzleloader was like 20 yards super duper cool uh so is that kind of a stock getting up into that getting that close to the deer uh, patterned them where they were walking across each night and we just sat uh at a tree and they came closer than normal was just right on top of us and wow uh mad at it get to stop and dropped it or it didn't drop, but shot it. it. Yeah, and... shot it well. No, it was, it was awesome. And I'll just jump in. I mean, I know where he said, Matt, it just kind of, you know, made it, made a fawn noise with our mouth as they came across just a little, uh-huh. and, uh, just stop the deer right in his tracks. And, you know, as a dad, you're just like, going, okay, kid, here's, here's yeah. your chance. Just, they are on us. And he absolutely performed well on that deer. And this, uh, the deer I got, we'd, been scouting for for a long time because it's super non-typical mm-hmm. the this my first one not the one i just shot but one antler comes above the eye and forks it's almost like a ball almost it's the weirdest looking thing it's hmm. just it's a and, little deer yeah. But yeah and then the other one came straight up and then straight down so this is the deer i really wanted to shoot and my dad mentored me that tag to shoot this deer oh cool that was the plan was that was going to be my first deer first buck anyway and that's how it came together and then after that went and competed at rendezvous and 
uh, won a gun my first year and all the kind of stuff just fueled it. And it's just been so rewarding mentally and actual rewards meat on the table. And uh, I got a gun the first year I had ever even shot a muzzleloader. <laughs> That's awesome. It was pretty awesome. It was a proud dad moment, definitely. For sure. Yeah, I can't even imagine. That's got to just be like ear to ear, just happy as can be. It absolutely is. Still is. <laughs> Do you it's still crazy. shoot with that with that rifle you won then? I'm left eye dominant, so I shoot a different one because that one was right eye dominant. So the hammer's on the other side. Gotcha. And uh, I still shoot it when I get the opportunity to, but I yeah. shoot a left eye dominant or left a left handed left handed gun. Yeah. So what are you guys using muzzleloaders for? We've we've touched a little bit, I think, on this already with some of your competition and things, but uh, really just kind of what aspects of, of muzzleloading are you involved in out there? It's more hunting than rifle as and you have to get closer. And it's, I think, funner in that sense, but it's not as difficult as a bow. Mm -hmm. And so I like it more that way. And the competition side is just a lot of fun just to go shoot with some friends that we've had for years and try our hardest and get rewarded for it. But so competition shooting a little bit where you're all dressed up in buckskins, all that kind of crazy stuff. And then hunting. Yeah. And that's, that's basically what we do. We've, you know, we've probably shoot. Well, last year I think we shot at three rendezvous. Okay. Yeah. Um, there, were, there were a couple um, closed because of COVID and, and two of those were smaller rendezvous. And then we shot at the Fort Bridger rendezvous, which is a big, that's a big event in Wyoming. But, mm -hmm. uh, that and then muzzleloader hunting. I mean, ever since I really kind of started muzzleloader hunting, um, I, I have taken, uh, you know, antelope and elk and stuff with a centerfire rifle, but it's just, I want to hunt with a muzzleloader. I mean, that's my, my primary thing that just, that's what I want to do. And so it all kind of just, you know, helps with each other. I mean, you shoot at a competition lets you kind of know what you're able to do to make you a better hunter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the more you hunt as well, it just, it makes you better at competition, right? So it yeah. all kind of helps feed each other. You kind of get used to the the pressure on yeah, both yeah. ends that you're you're under, both in competition and hunting. Yeah, that's one thing that I, I would say is awesome for a kid, especially because, you know, I, I remember the first round of I shot at, and like I said, I didn't really have anybody to hold my hand. Mm -hmm. And uh, but it's something I wanted to do. I actually had kind of talked to a couple of my friends that had never competed before, and had when the muzzleloaders they had shot were mine, and kind of got them into it, and was like, hey, we got to go shoot at this rendezvous. Let's go. And I mean, I was shaking so bad, so nervous. You know, <laughs> it was it was it was hard just to even. Um, you know, get my registration fees paid and, and didn't even participate in all the events. I was just so excited. I shot at one, <laughs> and, you know, that it was good, but I really think for a kid to be able to have that pressure and not, not that as a dad, I'm putting them under pressure, but just the pressure of competition. It is, you know, when you've got people shooting right next to you and smoke and, and there's a gun on the line too. So the adrenaline <laughs> is crazy. And then you go hunt a deer and it's not, I mean, there's still adrenaline cause it's a deer and it's, freaking awesome but it's mm -hmm. not it's easier to control your adrenaline when you've had high levels of it yeah absolutely regular yeah get kind of used to it yeah now you just have to make the shot right as right. opposed to deal with all the other stuff that you know goes with that adrenaline aspect of and it. the kinds of stuff you shoot at the rendezvous are just like a gong you can't see how far it is you don't know how far it is so you just kind of have to put in 
what you hope is you run around powder and shoot at it. So yeah. with the deer, it's less of, oh crap, I got to shoot at what yardage is it at, all this kind of stuff. You just have to know where to hold. And once you got that down, it's just shooting at that point. Hmm. Yeah, then you're just good to go. Yeah. So what what keeps you coming back to to muzzleloaders over you know modern firearms because there, there's so many out there and they make it so easy. Sure. Um, you know, I'll jump it. Well, Sam, do you want to start and then I'll finish, or what do you want to do? Like now? I said earlier, it's it's, it's harder than a rifle because you're getting closer and it's more personal and mm-hmm. you can get more of a feel for the animal and you have to. I don't know, not necessarily try harder because if you're going after a, a massive buck with a rifle, it's obviously going to be harder than any old deer, but it's harder than a rifle and it's easier than a bow. And I've, I shot a deer with a bow this year and it was super tricky, but just to have the confidence that you can kill a deer, but still kind of have to fight for it is a lot of fun. Yeah. They're not just <laughs> handing them out. Yeah, I, I was told years ago, because I, you know, coming from the bow hunting aspect of it, I had a gentleman tell me, he, I told him I was getting into muzzleloader and I wanted to start hunting with it. And he said, you know, he said, are you, are you a rifle hunter or a bow hunter? And I said, I'm a bow hunter. And he said, well, that'll be the best thing you've ever done hmm. is to switch. Because now if you see a deer at, at 50 yards and you think that it's 40 yards, you know, with a bow, you've missed it. With a muzzleloader, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of that, but I, you know, for me, the thing that really hooked me, um, on a muzzle loader and that keeps me coming back to it. Um, the first year I ever hunted, um, at that time, Utah had a, had an elk tag. It was a limited entry elk tag. Um, but it was like, a, they gave it only a thousand permits to hunt elk with a muzzle loader. And this is when, this is in the mid nineties. So when inlines are just coming in, mm-hmm. um, but I had a traditional gun and that's what I wanted to shoot. And, uh, but I had drawn that permit and it was for either sex and I did not, didn't even harvest an animal, but, you know, I had come from a, a bow hunter perspective of, of feeling, you know, there is something kind of magical about that flight of an arrow. Um, yeah. but I, I kind of come from that, that side of things and, and that, that connection with the past with archery. And, uh, I was hunting elk up, um, well, in a spot in Utah, but you actually go through Wyoming to get there, but you pass Fort Bridger, you pass the 1825 rendezvous site, you know, you're in Ashley National Forest. Um, so you're, you're, you're right where the mountain men were. Yeah. Right. I remember, um, this morning cutting some fresh elk sign and, and track these elk for a couple of miles. And they, they had dropped down off this plateau into this really nasty stuff down below me. And I stopped kind of on this cliff outcropping. And I was just like, wow, this is the neatest thing I've ever done hunting wise, because here I am using a gun that, you know, now I know it's not an exact replica of what they had, but to me at the time, I mean, it was, it was definitely in the spirit of it. Right. Yeah. But here, here I am, you know, I've got a shooting bag and I've got my supplies on me and here I am standing in the same, you know, I'm standing on this cliff looking down into this valley that that would have had mountain men in it during the fur trade era. And for me, it just, it hooked me. I I don't think I ever have had a bow tag since um, because I just lost interest in it. I just was like, no, uh, you know, this this smoke and black powder was a lot more exciting to me and just that historical aspect of it. But that, that's what 
kind of pushed me over the edge on hunting, if that makes sense. Like yeah. pushed me over to where like, you know, I'm a muzzleloader hunter, not just a, a hunter, but I hunt with a muzzleloader and uh, has never taken that away just because it was such a cool, it's just cool. And it's, it's exciting. You know, when you shoot at an animal and you know, you've held right and you've done your part, but you lose it in that smoke. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's just kind of that, uh, I don't know. It just hasn't gotten old for me at all. And I just love it. It's awesome. There's that moment where it just hangs and like everything slows down. Yep. And you just, you're going to see here in a second how that deer has responded. If you get that opportunity, right. You yeah. know, I mean, sometimes, sometimes you don't, but, but just that, that magic of it just, uh, just has kept me hooked ever since. Hmm. So Sam, can you tell us a little bit about the the hunt that you shared it for us with the with the photo contest? Was so, there anything exciting about that hunt that made it you know ex- well, memorable? The the cool part is is we these deer should have been in the valley we were sitting at probably anywhere from thirty minutes to an hour before, and so it was pretty much like well they're probably not going to come through. They came up higher or lower than us, so we're not going to run into them. So I was talking to my dad and I'm facing him and we're still, you know, being quiet, all that kind of stuff. And my dad stops me and said, there's a deer chewing acorns right behind me. And (laughs) he paused and we could hear this buck just chewing acorns behind us. And it was probably like 20 yards. It just barely came. He was really close at that point. Super close. And uh, I was telling him to shoot it if it was a good deer, but he wasn't going to shoot over my shoulder. That's <laughs> yeah, he, he had his back to it so he had no clue it was there and we had just just kind of met up and we're talking it was first thing in the morning and we hadn't seen any deer in the clearing and then i i looked over it and seen it and it was just i mean it was right behind us coming at us and uh so i started turning around slowly and the deer immediately pegged me and started running off so i flipped around as quick as i could cocked my gun stopped it same thing we did with the other deer just mounted it mm-hmm it paused, looked at me, and I shot it. And uh, just the way, I mean, deer act when they're hit, it was dead and ran a little bit. We went over there, and there it was. It was just down. <laughs> it goes sometimes, and it was just, it was opening day. I'd killed uh, that deer I was talking about earlier with a bow that had been a super hard hunt. So I was just ready to shoot uh, the first good buck I saw because mm-hmm. it was it was had been a long hunt, so I just wanted to get more deer. And we had seen the same buck before during the bow hunt, so we knew he was there. I knew he was a th- at least a three point on the one side. I didn't know if it was a two or three on the one on the other, but shot it and went over there. Absolutely pumped out of my mind. <laughs> That's how it goes. But. Yeah, you just jittery, just amped up. Yeah, yeah. You know, and as as a parent, it was a it was a really cool experience for me on that. Now I know he just kind of just, you know, just told it matter of factly, but I mean, as a parent, it was really cool because, you know, on his first, on his first year, he had taken a few years prior, right on that, on his first year with the muzzleloader when he was 12. Um, you know, I did everything I could to make that a success and, you know, had him already on shooting sticks. Cause we, we hunt deer off the ground. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we're not in tree stands or anything and, and tried to do everything, but on this deer, he really, I mean, Sam has really matured, you know, I mean, he's 15 now, he's harvested, that, oh, was, his, that was his fifth deer, 
and because uh, he's been able to get some landowner doe tags, and that's what his bow bow permit was as well too. Was was with a doe. It was for a doe that he had killed the week before. But this was so amazing to me because I mean I, I could see the deer. I knew it was a good deer, and I wanted him to shoot it. And and Sam, you know, as we're whispering, I'm like, he's right there, you know. And and, and this is, I mean, this is a good deer, Sam. You want to shoot it? And he's he's just like. Yeah, just shoot it. Just, just kneel down and shoot it. No, because I would, you know, I mean, he's in my way, but he's like, Dad, just get it. Come on, just do it. Do it. You th- have this one be about you, kind of thing. And I'm uh-huh. like, No, I want you to see this deer, and I want you to be able to take it. And so, I mean, what was so proud to me is as a, as as a kid, right? Um, as he slowly turned, and that that deer busted us, and it, I mean, it started to run. Now there's a couple ways when a deer busts you, right? I mean, if they, if they know that, oh, you're a human, right, they're gone and they're, they're not stopping. But this deer really was not sure what we it were. Just saw movement. It just saw movement. Okay. So it was nervous. And so as it, as it ran from us and it ran about 75 yards, but you know, Sam, and I think a lot of this honestly is coming from the, the rendezvous background of this offhand, pulled the gun up, got everything lined up and, and made a fawn belt, you know, something and that deer stopped, turned, and pivoted. And when he did, I mean, Sam was ready for it and shot it right through the front shoulder. And, I mean, it, it ran just a little ways. And it was obvious when he hit it. I mean, I'm like, wow, he hit that right in the front shoulder. And he mm-hmm. said to me, he goes, yeah, Dad, I, I, I just did the front shoulder and and took that out. And But just to see him mature from a little kid that was, you know, Dad kind of needed to do everything. Not, not everything. But you know what I'm saying? Really yeah. needed to hold his hand to this. Um, he knew, no, I'm going to shoot that deer. Was ready for that deer. Had everything ready to go. So as soon as it did stop and presented an opportunity, he was able to to do that. So for me, that was really cool to see my son um, be that 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 ready. You know what I mean? Where, where the yeah. torch. I was like, you know, the torch has been passed. He doesn't need me anymore. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's the the goal there. You know, you're trying to set him up that he can go out and hunt and uh, yeah. and make it happen. And that's what he did. Yeah, absolutely. It was awesome. And wow. also with it is uh, in the competition, I shoot with iron sights. That's what you have to do. Mm-hmm. And this was the first year I've ever hunted a deer besides a rifle. I've done that before, but with a muzzleloader with a scope. Okay. Yeah. Muzzleloader because I've always shot traditional but the uh year before i missed a four point that was just a little bit out of range and uh i missed it so i was kind of ticked off and wanted to shoot a bigger buck so i got a gun with the scope Mm -hmm. and so that was it's because i was raised shooting iron sights i'm so used to that that a crosshair is just like so much easier than i honestly think if i was raised with a crosshair yeah it's just it's just such an upgrade that it's a lot easier than shooting iron sights. I think a lot of people compare it to like driving stick shift. You know, if you can, if you can drive stick shift, you can drive anything. And I think if you can shoot with iron sights, you can shoot with anything. That's kind of how I was raised as well. Yeah. I, I would totally agree with that. I know with Sam, I thought this was kind of funny. I was his, uh, scout master when he was 12 and we had gone to summer camp that very first year and he was doing the rifle shooting merit batch. And, and as a scoutmaster, I was just kind of with the, with the group of kids, but we had done all the classroom aspect of that merit badge, right? We were, you know, this was our range day and we were over there and as he sat down and he just looked at me 
puzzled as all could be. And this kid has shot a lot. And he goes, Dad, I don't have any clue how to use a scope. <laughs> what am I doing? I've never even looked through a scope before. And uh -huh. I'm like, okay, there's a failure parent real quick. You know, <laughs> it was just a, it was a quick thing. Okay, buddy, let's, you know, here's how it works. I want you to look down at the target. This yeah. is how it looks to you, right? And I'm like, okay, just do this and you'll be fine. And, and he was, you know, quickly did it. But that was something I, I had really, all of his practicing as a little kid, we shot to have him ready, you know, to participate in a rendezvous or shot to have him ready to hunt. And that mm -hmm. was kind of my mindset, but I had never, it just did not occur to me yeah, to grab a scope, even though, you know, I own plenty with them, but I don't shoot them. I shoot a muzzleloader and that's usually what we do. So, yeah, that's just how it goes. You know, I think it's, it's easy for that to happen, yeah, but uh, you know, he, he's right back into it. You know, he didn't skip a beat. Yeah. This podcast is brought to you by Thor Bullets. Thor Bullets are a premium full-bore muzzleloader bullet designed specifically for modern inline rifles. Thor Bullets do not require plastic sabos or belts to be fired, meaning less cleaning for you between shots. The patented copper base creates an airtight seal, giving you greater distance and accuracy. Thor's unique engineering allows the bullets to retain 95% of their weight upon impact, and the controlled expansion ensures large, easy-to-follow blood trails. Thor bullets are currently available in a 50 caliber version that is sized to your specific bore. Thor is also expanding into a new 45 caliber bullet designed for faster 1 in 24 and 1 in 22 twist inline rifles. For more information on these great bullets, visit www.thorbullets.com. We'd like to thank Thor Bullets for their sponsorship of this podcast. So I, I guess uh, kind of our final question that I have here um, is uh, what do you think that somebody new to muzzleloading needs to hear? And I think um, I'm interested because you guys are, you know, father and son. And, you know, so maybe, Scott, you know, what's something that a, a parent who wants to get their kid involved with muzzleloading black powder? You know, maybe something that they need to hear. And Sam, what's the kind of thing that you want uh, other young people to hear about or, or know about muzzleloading? Do you want to go first? Do you I'll go first. Sam will go first. So okay. the first thing is if you're shooting a traditional is powder patch ball because that's the hardest thing to remember. You forget powder, it's just you're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking from personal experience, it's happened to me a lot. But also just stick with it, especially if you're shooting a rifle beforehand, is uh, once you get in the groove, you're in the groove, and it's what you want to do. Mm -hmm. And if you get into the groove it's hard to get out of it so once you get into it you're all good that's the main priority is getting in the groove of shooting it practicing and once you do you're going to be great and it's not going to be difficult at all well this is this is my thought and this is you know goes back to me even when i got into it you don't have to be intimidated um and one thing i've really found for the most part about the rendezvous community they are some of the best people of helping you out. And at the time, you know, I was too nervous to ask questions when I was wanting to get in, but they'll really help you out and, and say, hey, you ought to be doing this again and, you know, instead or, or whatever. But really, for the most part, that is such a great group of guys and, mm -hmm. and, and women that are involved in that that are more than willing to help you out. So there's no reason to be intimidated. 
Um, you know, one thing that I have done for my kids that, that Sam's older siblings didn't have the luxury of just because I, as a parent, didn't have the money to buy a gun for a kid and, and kind of make it work, you know, for a kid. But really, um, if you can get a gun that fits that kid, mm-hmm. that will make such a difference. And, and all I did, honestly, I found a pawn shop, you know, a CVA Frontier, a little 24-inch barrel, you know, kind of in, in the spirit of a, of a traditional gun, right? And yeah. Took a couple inches off of that stock and uh, did some things to help lighten the gun up itself. And just doing that, taking those couple inches off, and then I, you know, I browned the barrel and I, I did a right stain on the the stock so it wasn't, you know, so it, so it kind of fits in at a rendezvous right a little yeah, better. Yeah. You know, not 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 a not a replica, but you know, it's it's pretty good in the spirit of it. But by doing that, really helped him, and, and helped, you know, when you have a gun that fits. When you're, you know, a 12 year old boy is pretty little. Yeah. Or oh, yeah. He, he, was, he was 10 when he started shooting a 10 year old um, little boy. Most of those guys are pretty small mm-hmm. or, or a little girl for that matter. I mean, it, you know, my girls all shot um, as well. Um, but if they can have a gun that fits and and manage that recoil. Um, and what I mean by that, I mean, for my kids starting out, we did 20 grains of black powder of Go X 3F and uh that's enough to punch a hole in a piece of paper. It's yep. not enough to hunt deer with, but you know, they would sit and shoot that. And, and the recoil aspect of it was not, wasn't hard. You know what I mean? They, they could handle that. Yeah. And, and one thing I would do with them too, is like when, when Sam was little, when we were kind of shooting, you know, kind of getting ready for, you know, to, to teach him how to shoot at a rendezvous, you know, I wanted five shots out of a muzzleloader with him and I wasn't worried about shooting at all myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I would have him shoot five shots and I didn't care if he shot him off of either shooting sticks, but I wanted a couple of those standing. Yeah. And then I would, you know, get out his 22 and, and, you know, another thing too, I think it's really good, you know, to have it interactive, mm-hmm. you know, so if you can shoot little silhouettes, that's a lot funner than shooting paper. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I would just set up, I've got some, you know, Buffalo silhouettes and we would set those out there and I'd say, okay. You know, if you got five shots with your muzzle loader, if you want to do two now and two later and one later, because it's too, you know, tiring to hold that gun. But then I want you to grab your 22 and I want you to shoot offhand and just shoot and shoot those, you know, Buffalo. And, and you know, they were, you know, they ping. And so that's more exciting than shooting paper. But, yeah. you know, those kind of things are a, are a big deal. I mean, put your kid in a position to be successful. Um, whether it's your kid or a you know a niece or nephew, or whether it's uh, you know a kid down the street that really wants to get involved, um, that shows any interest at all, help them be successful. I mean, you don't you don't need to show them, hey, that this gun can shoot 130 grains, and let's have you shoot you know a buffalo bullet out of it and yeah. get bumped, because then they don't want to touch it. Yeah, and uh, you know help them be successful, and when they realize that. Um, man, the light goes on when you shoot black powder and the smoke and it's just exciting. Um, but those are my thoughts, you know, let's just don't, don't be intimidated, put your kid in a position to be successful. Um, but you can really do in that, you know, manage recoil, manage expectations. Um, you know, it's not a big deal if you miss really isn't. Um, but let's just go have some fun and, and, you know, be safety conscious as a, as a group. And it's an awesome experience, an awesome thing to do with your kids, with your family. 
For sure. I think that's just really beautiful and just really a positive way to think about it that I, I really appreciate. I think so many times we get caught up in what makes it hard and and all the roadblocks that can happen. But I think um, that's a really positive message. Thank you very much, Scott. There's one more thing I want to share, if I could, real quick. Of course. This, as, I just, as I was just thinking, as I... Um, you know, my, I have a daughter, she was able to harvest a deer with a, with a muzzleloader too. My first one to get one with a patched round ball. And I, it was so cool, but, um, she, you know, just had a, it was kind of interesting as a dad kind of raised her the right way, right. Doing the same kind of things that, I, that I'm talking about. But when she was a senior in high school, she had a kid take her on a date. Hey, let's go shooting with a group of friends. And, um, you know, she was five feet tall, hundred pounds, if that, <laughs> and, uh, you know, what does he have her do here? Here, shoot my gun. I hunt elk with, and she tw- shot it twice. And she said, you know, dad, I hit the targets, but she did not pick a gun up for five years. Really? And it was after she went to college and she's like, you know, dad, I don't want to hunt again. But by the time we got her ready to hunt, she was like, dad, you know, she had drawn her tag and she was already, but she was she said, Dad, I am so scared to shoot a gun. I just don't want to feel that because that hurt me so bad, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I think sometimes, uh, you know, that's that's kind of going back in that safe environment, right? That yeah. successful environment. Um, keep them in that position. Because we've all heard, you know, yeah, I shot my dad's 12-gauge and it knocked me on my hind end, right, when I was yeah. a little kid. We don't need to do that. No, yeah, um, exactly. You know, as, as the adult, um, you know, make that a positive experience and – and if you do, I mean, it's it's fun. I've been able to go with, uh, you know, this last rendezvous we went to, um, you know, I had my son-in-law there um, who had competed the year before. I had a daughter-in-law there who shot. I had my, you know, my older son. I had Sam there. Um, that it really is a neat family experience, whether you're on the mountain hunting a deer or you're, you know, competing, um, what a great opportunity it is to be there with your family doing those things, but just keep it a good, safe, fun environment. And, and it's a good thing. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I mean, unfortunately, I think that's kind of a, an aspect of, of firearms in general, you know, giving something to somebody that's, you know, just too hot. Um, I think we're, I'm hopeful that we're kind of shifting away to that, like you say, to a, to a much more positive experience for everybody so that we can keep more people engaged in this and keep everybody comfortable with what they're doing. I mean, I've shot, you know, a few stout loads and things, you know, and I, I I get the laughs and things, but really making it so that we, we keep everybody interested and involved. I think that's how we keep all this going. Absolutely. It's the only way we're going to keep it going, right? I mean, we have to, in order to keep it going, you have to replenish the, you know, the amount of people they're getting out of it. I think on the hunting side, at least in this state, I mean, muzzleloader hunting is going crazy. Really? But the actual buck skinning, you know, traditional rendezvous stuff um, depends where you are. Hmm. But, you know, it's a a smaller group. You just have guys keep dying off and and you've got to, you've got to replenish that tank. Yeah. It's good to, it's good to put back in what you've take at, taken out. Maybe is yeah, <laughs> a good theme there. Yeah. I'd like to thank Scott and Sam again, um, for coming on and, and having this great conversation with me. It was 
really what I needed, you know, kind of coming out of the, the busyness of the holidays to, to sit down and talk uh, passionately about muzzleloaders and getting people involved in muzzleloading. Uh, that's what we're really all about here. And I love muzzleloading and, and Sam and Scott, I think just hit the nail right on the head. Uh, really got me energized about, about muzzleloading and, and, and talking about muzzleloading. And I, and I hope that they did the same for you. Uh, if you have the opportunity out there, to, uh, to share a muzzleloader with somebody, you know, give somebody their first shot, please do. Um, I really encourage you to just uh, burn a little powder with somebody, get them hooked, get them interested. And, and if you can't, you know, if, you, if you're low on powder and you just want to show somebody a neat muzzleloader, just because it's, uh, it's so different than what we're used to now when it comes to uh, contemporary firearms. I think a lot of the visual aspect and the, the the wood and the and the metal that you see on on muzzleloaders can can be alluring all on their own. We have a few more episodes planned here uh, coming up this early kind of late winter. I guess saying early spring is a little too optimistic, probably at this point as we're talking here. But um, <laughs> uh, more episodes on the way. I've got some neat people coming on. I, I think you'll enjoy to hear from a, a lot of different perspectives, uh, young and old, and, and different aspects too of of muzzleloading and kind of long rifle accoutrement culture that I'm excited to share. Um, especially with there's so much interest now in muzzleloading and really all aspects of it uh, from the modern to the traditional to the ultra traditional of making all of your own gear so um, really neat episodes on the way that I, I hope you'll enjoy i'd like to thank jeff clemens at thor bullets here real quick uh, jeff reached out late last year um, and and wanted to to sponsor another year of the podcast and i, I really can't thank him enough for that um Jeff and Thor have been really supportive of I Love Muzzleloading really from the start and uh, and really supportive of the community as a whole. Uh, I know that you know, many of us are round ball shooters, diehard uh, lead shooters and lead round ball shooters. But, um, you know, I really encourage you if you if you have a modern muzzleloader, you're interested in trying out a different kind of projectile out there. Uh, please do check out Thor. You know, his support and, and Thor's support is is helping us cover the website costs for the year. And it's going to help us do a few more things that I'm really excited about, kind of trying to give back to the community here a little bit. You may have heard we're sponsoring the Gunmakers Fair at Kempton and uh, contributions like Thor um, does for us here help us kind of give back. And uh, like Scott talked about in this episode, kind of uh, try to replenish the well uh, of the muzzleloading community to, to help keep it going. So I just wanted to say that, you know, um, you know, Thor, they're really hands off about it. They don't, they don't tell me what to say or, or how to say it or, or what to do in anything, any of the videos or anything. Um, you know, it's really, a, a, I think uh, I'm very blessed to have a passionate sponsor and supporter of what we're doing here. I'd also like to thank my wife Paisley real quick. A lot of exciting things happening this year for us. Uh, and, um, you know, she's, I think one is uh, the first supporter of I Love Muzzleloading, really, when uh, talking to her late last year about it, or uh, kind of in the middle of last year, I guess, talking to her a little bit about it. In the middle of last year, she was really supportive and, and really passionately engaged about it. And uh, so I'd just like to thank her once again uh, for being supportive of I Love Muzzleloading and of, and of me. You know, she's a, a wonderful wife and I, I couldn't ask for better. Once again, I'm Ethan, and I love muzzleloading. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to learn more about what we talked about in this episode or anything else that we talk about on the show, please visit ilovemuzzleloading.com. Thank you again. We'll catch you next time. In business, you rarely hear the expression, for life. 
you make a purchase for a product, for a service, and, and there's, a, there's a time frame there. Well, that's not the case with Awaken 180 weight loss. Allow me to explain. You know, a year ago, I started with Awaken 180 weight loss and had incredible success losing weight. But you can lose all the weight in the world and not keep it off. And what good is it? That's why I have support for life from Awaken 180. Yeah. I mean, I go back for check-ins and make sure everything's going smoothly. But if I ever had a problem, the counselors are there to get me back on track. Why don't you do what I did and call for a consultation? 844-346-1800. 844-346-1800. Or go to awaken180weightloss.com. 